Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Great Unraveling She saw him bent slightly over a fire when she saw him for the first time. He looked then much like he did on the last night that they were together, but this moment was the beginning of the in-between, the part that so many say is the best, the first of the middle, the start of the rest of it. Her hair was long and tangled like elk vines, and she had a habit of cocking her head sidelong so the curtain of her locks would give her cover to peek from beneath. Her weight back in her hips, Sometimes she'd stand sentry until the corner of one eye felt tight, at which point she'd relax and shift and remember herself, push the vines away, blink her eyes. It was during a spate of such blinking that he came into her life. The segmented nature of the scene made it feel like there were many of him. Blink, stand, blink, turn, blink, back, blink, hands. As he stood, shadows seemed to rush with purpose to shade his face into perfect form. Beautiful. His skin was damp, the deep color of deer fur. She had an arrowhead in her hand for reasons she could never place and dragged the tip of her thumb over it, releasing a prick of blood. He would remember the face she was making as one of someone that wished to be elsewhere. Yet, she wanted only to be there. I want only to be here, she thought, as they talked about things that surrounded them, hoping they would never run out. Green Palm was going through much hardship and change. The shaman kept the people from hitting bottom by reminding them of the old tales and reviving the old gods into their hearts. It was during the first festival of Yalu the River God that she and he became them. And it was them that passed hours upon the banks, lying half in the water as it lapped at their legs, forgetful as water never is, warm even though it was early spring. Silt or skin, the river couldn't tell, nor could she. He would run his fingers across the back of her hands, as if discovering some new god or new tale there in the time of old gods and old tales. Her father caught them once on a stolen horse near the grave of oaks and set about chasing them with a whip reed. Their laughter only enraged him more. The reed limp and bobbing. The horse nearby, they ran until everything was a small dot in the middle of the center of their world. The center, ringed in petals and branches, forming one body that couldn't be broken, couldn't be wrung out on the riverbank. It went like this for weeks and months, their families took to the pairing as dragonflies do the water. Their clans being already aligned, it was an easy match that some had even predicted. Much was spoken of. Her mother would stay mending her cloaks long past their fixing. 
saying this thing or that thing about what a husband means. She would listen because she loved to hear others speak of him. It was as if he was there, conjured, how the shaman would bring the hidden bear to life during morning ritual. It made her head spin, though, thinking that she was here, mouth upturned, heart softening at the mention of him, where before he was nothing, not even a passing thought in her life. He was the nothing of the gods, felt but not here, and now here and felt like the gods. Is it good and right to love him more than them? She asked her mother, who didn't know how to respond, so she just touched her daughter's face and laughed. Four days before their wedding, the raid came suddenly and without warning. None among her people were prepared. The birds had been silent for years, and many thought they had perished from the white death that crept across Dakota years ago. Their people hadn't been seen blotting the skies with their swarms and ominous shapes. But here they were now, with ferocious new weapons, cruel hooks that would pull out stomachs, nets lined with blades. They moved in sync like swarms of bees, and this time it was clear that they had come for more than food and wood and iron. They had come to exterminate. After the first day of fighting, the bird's design had emerged, but it was too late for the people of Green Palm to counter its wicked purpose. The raiders had spent the whole day dividing her people up by driving them to strategic points. One of the most important and deadly was the Temple of Evergreen, where hundreds of children and the infirm took shelter. The birds had splintered the bear warriors into makeshift tree shelters around the temple. It was a holy place and was designed as such. A large clearing surrounded the structure that was now a kill box. In its conception, the idea was that this monument to the Holy Spirit of the forest should stand out amongst all things that it should never fall into the shade. What this meant now for the warriors of Green Palm was that there was no way to reach all those trapped inside. Many tried and met a twisting, gruesome death that took hours, days. She remembered being pressed within those walls, wives trying to keep their dying husbands calm as their souls were dragged to the deep waters of the next life. She was thinking of him and nothing else, the crush of bodies pushing against her, a cruel reminder of the only one she longed to touch. He was a river warrior, meaning he would station along the banks of the waters protecting their fisheries and shooting at the demons as they swept out of the trees, swinging their hooks and throwing their spears. The special armor that they wore to protect them from the soil they believed would kill them made them look like insects trapped in a spider's web. When they bled, they turned into crimson smudges against the smoke of the burning forest. 
He was stationed with an older group of warriors who had seen much and survived much. He looked out on the waters of the Snake River as it churned, foamed stubbornly, mystically, not moving from one spot. The dark sand of the riverbank giving way to the yawn of the tall grass that spread out through and under the oaks and aspens. There was a tree that grew sideways and down like a giant spider. The old women told a tale of how it came to be, but he couldn't remember any of it. And he couldn't suddenly remember her face. Just that they had run along the spider's legs only weeks ago, saying that they wished they had done this as children together. He telling her that he would find a way to turn back time so that all of their hopes could be spent as one. The spider now was dotted with crimson smudges, bird warriors patiently waiting them out, daring them to move, paying little mind to the young man scribbling on bark paper with the frog ink meant to mark his face for their wedding. Suddenly, he remembered her face as if he had made every tiny inch of it himself. On the third day, she could not bear the waiting. The night had been all suffering and no rest. A child had held her so tight that there were scratches where their tiny nails had dug in. She could feel nothing, though. Her mind hurt from praying to every god she could think of. The curving beams of the temple ceiling looked like someone had thrown a mess of flowers on the ground. She wondered if that was the intent and why she'd never noticed until now. Outside, there were no more groans, just a dapple of sun on wrecked bodies. She had to do something, and so that night she did. It took some convincing to get the stronger to aid her plan to dig out from under the floor of the temple, but quickly the people realized that they were grateful to have some place to put their anxious, fearful energy. It took only a few hours for the small tunnel to be dug out from beneath the temple into the forest past the clearing. Her people were masters of the soil. It was too risky for all of the trap to flee. Instead, it was she alone who emerged from it, clutching her blade. When they'd first met, she'd find him in the canopy before he spotted her, stepping lightly, always able to surprise him with the silence of her movements, jumping out to startle him in the bustle of the shops. It was this skill now that allowed her to climb and scale her way into the bird camp as they slept. She never told anyone the number, but her people say that she cut over a hundred throats, her blade doing the quiet work of death under the cover of slumber. Next, she cut the bridge ropes to the point before collapse and snuck off to tell the warriors to attack at dawn when they heard a collective wail of grief. And so they did, driving back the birds in a shock of rage and desperation that their poets still struggle to explain. The flaming arrows arching into the air, giving her people on the outskirts the sign to attack inward. 
they heave themselves out of their hiding with axes and blades and arrows and teeth and blood. But in the hours after the battle, she couldn't hear the cheers of her people, the screams of release and joy and pent-up terror. Her face was buried in his chest where an arrow had made its home just moments before she reached the river. Finding him lifeless, she hauled him to the banks of the water. Calmly, she thought, maybe he just needs something to drink. The surviving river warriors stood around her as if to guard from the grief that was soon to come in sick, lurching waves, which it did. The screams were ripping her throat in two when she noticed that one of the men was touching her back and calling her name. Yawen, Yawen, it might not be safe. That night, the chief king toasted her bravery to the gathered tribe. The hero of Green Siege, killer of Evergreen. She was 19 years old. Twice during the feast, she forgot herself and went looking for him in the maze of torches hastily lit and hung. There was a piece of bark paper on his body meant for her that she held now in her hands. She could hear his voice as she read aloud the words he'd never say. To love you is to feel things curious and fierce, pressing in all at once. To love you is the great unraveling. Yawen read it again and again, thinking perhaps it might change into, I'm not dead, just walking beneath the moon, not far from here. Tonight I'll return and hold you until the soil takes us into the oaks. But the words stayed the same. Even when she burned the paper, she would never again feel young. The next morning, she walked into the grave of Oaks, where they became them, where once he was alive. She knelt in the soil. It was the first day of fall, their wedding day. Birds of Empire stars Gwendolyn Briley Strand as the Keeper. Written and directed by Jason Liu. Executive produced by Jason Liu, Rob Herding, Sandra Yiling, Michelle Zarati, and Shenyan Hiyu. Story consultant Quinn Perry. Original score and composition by Darren Johnson and Matthew Carsenti. Music editor David Tadashore. Audio engineering by Ryan Walsh and David Tadashore. Edited by Jeffrey Fettig. Supervising editor Neely Oftering. Supervising sound effects editor and sound designer Randy Torres. Foley by Dan O'Connell, One Step Up. Mixed by Ben Milchev. Additional mixer, Alex Chuck. Casting director, Chrissy Fiorelli. Assistant director, Kelsey Adams. Script supervisor, Beth Ann Morgan. Production coordinator, Tom Breck. Head production assistant, Alex Buda. Production assistant, Cesar Chavez. Post coordinator, Emma Jacobson. Production legal, Christina Bulbrook and Lindsay Keel. Production accounting, Pin Chun Lu. Special thanks to Mara Schuster-Lefkowitz. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFRA collective bargaining agreement. 
Birds of Empire is a Q-Code production. Sound recording copyright 2022 by Q-Code Media Inc. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.